Well, turn in your Bibles to John 3. I'm not going to go too long. It has been amazing today, has it not? The roof came off this place several times. We worshiped and we were aware of him. So John 3 is what we're going to look at. But before we um, read that text, I'm just going to say something over the house. I was in my room, and I was just uh, being with the Lord, you know, quietly attentive, my favorite thing to do on the planet, just remain quietly attentive, no music, no sounds, except for my wife rustling around in the room a little bit. <laughs> it's quiet. Like this. The internal bend towards the Lord. Just sustaining the sweet sense of his presence, recognizing that in that nothingness is everything. It's like there's no need to do anything, no need to make anything happen. He's the happening. He's the doing. Now just enjoy like this. Attentive. Thank you, Lord. And as I was doing that, the Lord spoke to me for William. And I believe swallowed up in William is the work here. Because the Lord has raised him up for this very thing and the, and the team as well. So in the, the book of Malachi, there's this interesting statement that the Lord dropped upon me. I don't give words to people. I normally don't ever do that. If I do give you a word, it's probably this. I know exactly what the Lord's saying to you, and it's this. Come to me. <laughs> I once prophesied to every last person in a, a gathering because the guy before me was a prophet, and he prophesied to everybody personally. So they said to me, will you do the same thing? I said, sure. So I went to each person. I said, I know the word of the Lord for you. Come to me. I went to the next person. I said, the, Lord, the word of the Lord is come to me. I did it to every last person in the place. Because I know this is something you can bank on Jesus saying every single day of your life. Come to me. Lord, but I'm having an issue right now with my, with my, my flesh. Come to me. I'm having a problem with my wife. Come to me. I'm having a problem with my finances. Come to me. And no matter what you, you bring to him, he's saying, bring it to me. And so the Lord dropped this upon me. So I'm saying this is not normal for me. But the Lord came upon me with words. I feel very similar to the language. I can't say it's the same thing, but it felt similar to the prophets. The word of the Lord came to me. Or the oracle or the burden of the Lord came upon me, as the prophets would say. And this happened to me. And I, uh, I saw this phrase here. It says um, in Malachi, it says... Um, my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord. My covenant may continue with Levi. There's a covenant with Levi. And then look at what the covenant is. He says, my covenant with him was one of life and peace. I gave them life and peace to him as an object of worship. <laughs> so he worshiped me and he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, if you turn aside 
from these things, he goes on to name some terrible things that happen. If you turn aside from these things, one of which is he will smear the dung of your festivals on your face. This is the symmetry of God. <laughs> one side, life and peace, dung on your face. So this is both of these are equally beautiful. But this is what the word of the Lord was for the house. I've called you into the covenant with, of Levi. A covenant of life and peace. And by life and peace, you will worship the Lord. And you will stand in awe of his name. And this house shall be a house of true instruction. And no unrighteousness shall be named among you in Jesus' name. You will walk in the presence of the Lord, in his peace and his uprightness. And you will turn many back to the Lord. In Jesus' name. And the, your lips, the lips obviously from the top down, will preserve knowledge. And men shall seek instruction from your mouths. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. For the Lord has called you from the top down as a whole to be a messenger, a sign to this generation. I prophesy this to you with confidence in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Um, John 3, verse 31 is what we're going to look at. Let me pray real quick. Precious Jesus, we worship you and we thank you for your goodness. Oh, your head like snow, your eyes that glow, bronze feet, highest seat, mouth and sword, Christ the Lord, we worship you. And I pray even today, manifest the vibrations of your being into us and program us together with you into synchronization in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So John chapter 3 verse 31, you can see it right there. These are the words of John the Baptist. And this is what I want to emphasize is he who is from above is above all. He who's from above is above all. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, a sermon without Christ at its beginning, middle, and end is a mistake in conception and a crime in execution. He goes on to say, if you leave Christ out, you have left the sun out of the day, the moon out of the night. You have left the waters out of the sea, the floods out of the river. You have left the harvest out of the year, the soul out of the body. You've left joy out of heaven and you've robbed all of its all. He continues, and he says this. He says, a Christless sermon, you say? This is a brook without water, a cloud without rain, a well which mocks the traveler, a tree twice dead, a sky without sun, a night without a star. It were a realm of death, a place of mourning for angels and laughter for devils. We must preach Jesus Christ. While we were worshiping, I saw, the, I saw like the Lord as a bright light above the whole place. And there was these many veils in front of him. And each veil caused more brightness to come through. As the veils went, more brightness came. And I felt like the Lord was moving veils and causing light to be more pervading throughout the whole place. And I feel like that's what the Lord is doing. I'm ripping veils and dripping blood for 2,000 years just to get to you. That wonderful manifest presence of God, as, as Tommy Tenney used to say, turns a murderer Saul into a martyr named Paul. There's this in, incredible power that happens when the eyes behold the Lamb. 
And this looks like everyday life. This looks like time in his presence. This looks like him being recognized. So Christ is timeless and timely. There will never be a time when Christ is not the most relevant thing. And as a habitation, as a people, Levite people, as a people invited into the covenant with Levi, as that kind of a people, we must preach Jesus Christ. And not just mention him. He must be the source and the center. The biggest mistake is to emphasize streams instead of the source. See, if you focus on streams and not the source, then you'll miss the streams coming from your life. It's the source, Christ, that causes all these other things to happen. He's the source. Everything else is the stream. Praise God. He's the fountain. Everything else is the stream. Praise God. So I, I challenge every preacher that's within the sound of my voice, every person within the sound of my voice that, that is having some type of a voice in other people's lives, make everything Jesus. Because it's already that. And if you're not that, then you're outside of what is. Are you following me? God has made everything about Jesus. So if you veer, if you deviate, if you come with Jesus and or not enough of Christ, then you're outside of what God is. Are you understanding what I'm saying? God has locked everything up inside of the man Christ Jesus. So I call out to all of you and even to myself, let us preach Jesus Christ. The, the apostles were sent around not with cool messages, not with just mere types and shadows of different things. No, they, they were sent forth with Jesus Christ as their message. Let us be reduced down to one thing because in that one we have all. There's that story that, of that woman who was a Bible teacher for 50 years or so and at the end of her life she's dying and she's found on her deathbed and she's saying, I know him in whom I have believed, her favorite scripture. She's saying it over and over again on the bed. I know him in whom I have believed. I know him in whom I have believed. The pastor comes over and he's listening to her and he says, are you, are you okay? You know, can I pray for you? He prays for her. He comes back a couple days later and she's worse off and she's lost all of those, that phrase of her favorite verse, I know him in whom I believe. And now she's reduced down to just this, him, him, him. And the pastor looks at her and he recognizes she's lost all of the Bible. But in that one word, she had all of the Bible. <laughs> him, him, him. Praise God. There's a story also of when that famous painting of Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate. Is, it was first painted. It was so famous and, and it became, it made such a ruckus that they put it in the, the newspaper. But in the day that it was actually painted, the newspaper couldn't fit the size of the photograph. So what they did was they put what they could in and it was only Pilate and his men, no Christ. And this is a type and shadow of what happens with Christianity. A lot of times we include most but leave out Christ. This is the indictment against the church. We'll tell the story, but not put the emphasis where it belongs on the man Christ Jesus. He who's from above is above all. The indictment also against the church is just like Mary when she comes to the tomb. She says, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they placed him. Most churches you go in and that's the statement. You'll come out, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they placed him. I mean, if we're preaching and Jesus is not the complete message if what we're saying is not this man jesus christ we have shot too low because he who's from above is above 
all. Let it be that Jesus Christ is the very thing that dominates every teaching, every prophetic word, every focus, every proclamation, every bit of preaching that there is. Let it be that Jesus dominates everything because he already does. Praise God, because he who's from above is above all. Praise God. You know, I look at these things and, and I, I think about my own life and I find that I'm constantly trying to clear away the stuff that automatically gets in front of Jesus. And I find that my whole Christian life is just removing things that keep stepping in front of him. So my whole job is just to push stuff out of the way that keeps coming in. Maybe it's the thought of myself or the thought of my own impact, the thought of my own legacy, the thought of my own name, the, what I want to preach, what I think they want to hear. Let's push all this stuff aside and just do what God is doing and thunder from heaven, Jesus Christ, my son, listen to him. Are you following me? I just feel like this is what is most important. And when we say the name Jesus Christ, it's important to remember what we're saying. And sometimes you say Jesus Christ and you don't remember. It's almost as if you, you don't recall what you're actually saying when you say Jesus Christ. When you say Jesus Christ, you are saying that God has made himself everything I could ever need. You say, Eric, how, how is that possible? Because the name Jesus means Yeshua. It's salvation, Savior. In other words, this implies you have something to be saved from. This implies that he is the answer for your peril. <laughs> you have a problem. He's the answer. In his very name, he is the one who saves. And by virtue of the fact that he is Savior, your weaknesses attract him to you the very name jesus shows us that you can come and run to him anytime any place anywhere because that's his nature is to save you to lift you up pick you up and carry you jesus that name is i've come to save you but christ means something specific you know in the old testament three types of people were anointed prophets priests and kings and when you say anointed, it means to be smeared. The oil smeared upon you. And these men are smeared. A king separated for that purpose. A prophet separated for that purpose. A priest separated for that purpose. But Jesus Christ is the smeared one of God. He is the prophet. He is the priest. He is the king. You say, Eric, we know this. But here's how it applies to your life. When you forget that he's king, you start trying to rule your own life and wear the crown on your own head. And when we say Jesus Christ and we worship Jesus Christ, we are proclaiming him as king. Most people's lives are burdened down and weary because they're trying to wear a crown that's too heavy for their heads. You cannot wear a crown made for a God. So take it off your head and put it on the head that it belongs. Listen, let Christ wear the crown he bought with his own blood. That's king. That's king. Now, priest is very important because you can't make it without a priest. You need somebody to stand between you and God. Because I don't know if you've recognized this, and let me save you the suspense. We're not sinless. Can I just save you the suspense? And you're not going to enter into a, quote, Christian perfection in which there's no possibility of sin anymore. So just, I just want to show you that. Does you guys know that already? Okay. If, if not, you need to just open your eyes a little bit to what you are. <laughs> You need a fresh revelation of your vileness. Some people don't even want to remember this about themselves. Listen, it's a good thing to remember that you deeply need Jesus. 
the old, the old Puritans used to pray this. Grant me to feel my need of your continual saviorhood. Grant me to feel my need of your continual saviorhood. We need a priest, someone who stands in our place, stands before us, before God. The scripture says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the Christ. He is the priest that you need. I've said this many times, but it's one of my favorite quotes. I've just recently become good friends with uh, Dane Ortland and his incredible book, Gentle and Lowly. I recommend it to everybody. He says this in it. He says, the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug tightest. That's priesthood. Jesus doesn't just meet you in your need. He lives there. That's priesthood. You're going to need me, and here I am. We need also not just priest. We need the prophet. We need him to be prophet to us. Does that make sense to you? Because how are you going to hear without Jesus? He is God's incredible speaking. And the, the thing is about this prophet, this priest, this king, all of these wonderful garments that he wears, these facets of his being, they bleed into each other to make the perfect solution to everything in your life. This is, in all three of these things, merged into each other, bleeding into one another, you have in him everything that could ever be needed in Jesus the Christ, the Savior who is prophet, priest, and king. So let us preach Christ above all things. You see, many things are good for something, but only Christ is good for everything. What I mean by that is like bread has a quality about it, and water has a quality about it. Clothes have a quality about it. Medicine has another. But the thing is, is that they don't bleed into each other. If you're thirsty, eating bread is not going to help you. <laughs> if you need medicine, clothes are not going to help you. See, they, they're good for something, but they don't bleed into each other to be perfection. But Jesus Christ is bread for the hungry. He's water for the thirsty. He's clothing for the naked, and he's the physician to the sick. All of his attributes bleed into each other to be the constellation in the sky of everything that you could ever need. He's not just one north star in the sky. He's the entire constellation. Every light that you need, Jesus Christ is. Christ is. Is all And to look elsewhere is vanity. To look elsewhere itself is unbelief in Jesus the Christ. Are you following me? This is, what, this is what destroys people's lives. Unbelief in Jesus Christ. They may profess Jesus Christ with their mouth, but to believe that Jesus in Jesus Christ is to receive him as everything. That's why I say to you, to say Jesus Christ is to say God has become everything I could ever need. He is the all-sufficient one. You know, some people believe that El Shaddai means the all-sufficient one. I know it's debated in some circles, but regardless of what you think El Shaddai means, when it's mentioned in Psalm 91, verse 1, when it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of El Shaddai. The entire psalm, Psalm 91, is God providing himself as everything that a man could ever need in Psalm 91. So if El Shaddai means... Uh, he is the all-sufficient one or not, we see in Psalm 91.1, he shows himself to be that. And the, the interesting too is that in Genesis 17 and also in Genesis 28, there's two specific instances where El Shaddai is mentioned. The first one is with Abraham. He tells him, I am El Shaddai, and Abraham's name changes from Abram to Abraham. 
And then in 28, you see the same thing. God tells Jacob his name is El Shaddai. And when he hears that name, he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. So you see name changes happen when in a revelation of God being everything that you could ever need. The more we realize Jesus Christ is everything I could ever need, the more transformation will take place in our lives. As a matter of fact, each transformation in your life is one more area in which you recognize he's actually everything I need. I want to be transformed. Keep looking at Jesus because he'll keep showing you he's everything you need, and that's where the change happens. Praise God. I love that it's that way. So he is a wealth, Christ, and his unrivaled charms. He is a wealth of thought and feeling, praise God. You know, people like to shoot about against feelings. I, I, everywhere I go, there's people aiming guns at feelings. But it's like, but let, let, me just, let me just break it down for you for a second. If I put a Glock 17 in my hand and I pointed it at your face and you know that it's not real, you're going to be like this, get that out of my face. But if I point a Glock 17 at your face and you know and believe that it's real, you're going to feel something. Yeah. You understand what I mean? So when you say Jesus Christ, if you don't believe that, you're not going to feel anything. But if you say Jesus Christ and you believe it, you better believe you're going to feel something. Praise God. Praise God. Even in the crackle of the flame, the martyrs sung of his infinite charms. Jesus above all. He's a shepherd for your provision and also a sheep for your pardon. There's nobody like this. I mean, I, I, I challenge you as I challenge myself. Let's find a way to preach Jesus in every possible way we can. I, I reach out to you. I lay a, a, a red carpet out. I say, come on, let's all walk on this red carpet and try to exhaust the inexhaustible riches of the man, Christ Jesus. Let's, let that be our goal. I want to try. I'm going to look in this book and I'm going to try to exhaust everything I can find about how God has one thing on his mind and it's his son. Praise God. So the prophet, the prophet carries beautiful words. This Christ carries beautiful words, better than any other prophet by far. What other prophet can say, come to me? All ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for yourself. What prophet can say that? None. Only Jesus can say that. What other prophet can say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The prophets would come and they would say, this is the way. Jesus says, I am the way. They were prophets. He's the prophet, praise God. We look at Jesus and we see that he says statements like, do not worry about your life. Who can say this? He says statements like, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. Who else can say things like this? I'm with you always, even until the end of the earth. There's no prophet like Jesus Christ. Praise God. And he's also this great high priest. He's the priest exceeding all other priests. After the order of Melchizedek, meaning he never began and he never ends. He holds the priesthood permanently. He's able to save forever all those who could approach God through him. Jesus Christ, this priest... He's the son made perfect forever, exalted above the heavens, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, the forerunner who has inaugurated a new and living way to God. There's no prophet like this. 
There's no priest like this. And there's no king like this. Who else can represent you as the one sentenced for you? I mean, lawyers today, you got to pay them just to represent you. Jesus represents you for free, and he took your punishment already. And he's the king, the king of kings. His throne will last forever. His kingdom shall know no end. Blessed and only sovereign he is, who alone possesses immortality. He dwells in light unapproachable. He holds the government upon his shoulders. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. To the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Praise God, there's no king like Jesus. We need Jesus Christ again and again to show himself as everything we could ever need in the prophet, in the priest, in the king. Oh, if I could just push the door open to his chamber just a little bit, one of his light rays will come out and reduce you down to one desire, which is to gaze upon his beauty, dwelling in his presence forever. Praise God. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I desire above all other things. Jonathan Edwards once wrote, the sight of the beauty of Christ bows the will, bows the will and draws the heart. So the more you turn your eyes upon Jesus, the more your heart will bow, your, your, your will will bow and your heart will be drawn to him. You say, Eric, I'm just weak in my desire for the Lord. Look upon Jesus Christ. As you look upon Jesus Christ, he will bow your will and he will draw your heart. As Ruth Paxson said, he conquers your will by melting your heart. By seeing him, he just melts the heart away and then he, he, he literally dissolves your ability to resist him <laughs> by seeing the splendor and majesty that he himself is. See, that sight of him is, is, is the source of everything. Everything is sourced in a sight of him because he's greater than Moses, a greater captain than Joshua. He's a better king than David. He's richer than Solomon. He went higher than Elijah. He's closer to God than Enoch. He's wiser than Daniel. He's more favored than Joseph. He's the stone with seven eyes and the lamb that was slain in your stead. Praise God. You could take each one of those things and expound them forever because he's greater than the angels and he's higher than the priest and every knee will bow to his exalted seat. There's seven stars in his hand. Every crown is at his feet. Complete and perfect are his ways. He is the ancient of days. The earth and sky flee from his face. He's a person, a taste, a resting place, a refuge for any case. Oh, hasten the day when my face, my faith shall be sight and because he's bright, my clothes become white. Oh, to look at Jesus and find in him everything you could ever need. Listen, Jacob labored out of love for Rachel. For years, he labored out of love for Rachel. But he pales in comparison to Christ who has loved you and labored in love for you, waiting for you for so long. There isn't a love. There isn't a bridegroom like him. There isn't anyone who desires you like him. So I say, let's put everything else away. And let Jesus be above all because he's above all people, he's above all things, and he's above all happenings. You say, I've got all this stuff going on in my life. Listen, Jesus Christ is above all because he came down from above. He has lifted everything up out of the earth into the heavens. And this is where I'll close. I told you I didn't want to go too long. You guys are probably warm. Yeah? <laughs> Praise God. I'm going to close with this. 
<laughs> Praise God. We can sit here in the heat and love Jesus. I feel like I'm on a missions trip right now. <laughs> so I'm going to close with this. This is from C.S. Lewis. How many love C.S. Lewis? Yes, he's really something. A thinker and a worshiper. To mix those two things, you have a concoction that will blow the world up. If you're just a worshiper and you're not a thinker, you're going to have a wonderful life. But if you're a thinker and not a worshiper, you'll probably be able to affect some people in their minds. But if you can mix the two, you're a bomb. Praise God. So, C.S. Lewis says this, we have a problem. The atheist has a problem. And the problem that the atheist comes to is this, is who is Jesus Christ? He's the problem. Here's the reason why. Because his teachings are so moral and so pure and so clean, any thinking man would not fight against them. They're simple. They make sense. They're logical. Doesn't that make sense to you? You think about the practical things Jesus has said. Any thinking moral man would say, that is, that's good. This guy's, he's true. But on the other hand, the claims that Jesus made cause a major problem because he either is who he says he is or he is a complete lunatic that makes Hitler look sane. As a matter of fact, what C.S. Lewis says here is he says, God is either God or he's a complete, Jesus is either God or he's a complete lunatic suffering from the form of delusion which undermines the whole mind of man. He says, if you think you're an egg, there might be hope for you. But if you think you're God, there's no hope for you. He goes on to say, the claims that Jesus made cause a major problem for anyone who thinks about Jesus. Jesus is that line drawn in the sand. You think about this. Jesus stands up and he's led to his execution and he stands in front of the priest and the priest says to him, who are you? And Jesus says, I am the anointed son of God uncreated and you shall see me appearing at the end of all of history to judge the entire universe. What are you going to do with that? Either he is psychotic or he is God. This is the problem. Jesus Christ is the problem because he's the one you're going to have to bow to. Does that make sense? He goes on to say, he says different interesting statements like, I forgive your sins. Now, who can say, I forgive your sins? If somebody stole $5 from William, it would probably be right for William to say, uh, I forgive the guy, we'll speak no more of it, because that makes sense. But if somebody stole $5 from William, and I said, hey, bro, don't worry, I forgive him, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, because the sin was directly against William. When Jesus goes around saying, I forgive your sins, he claims to be the one that sin is against. Who else can say that? Listen, he's a problem. Jesus Christ is a problem. You're going to have to come face to face with who this man is. And I know you love this kind of talk because you love him. We worshiped him forever. Let's look at these things about him. He goes on and he says this next one. This is insane. He says, he's then on one occasion, this man is looking down on Jerusalem from the hill above it. And suddenly comes an extraordinary remark. I keep on sending you prophets and wise men. And then nobody comments on it. And yet, quite suddenly, almost incidentally, he is claiming to be the power that all through the centuries is sending wise men and leaders into the world. What are you going to do with that statement? 
This man that we look at and we worship, he, he sits on that hill and says, I'm the one who sent everybody to you. Praise God. Jesus Christ is a major problem. He goes on to say here, he looks at the disciples and he says, no man need fast when I'm here. He says, who does he think he is that he can tell the school they can have a holiday? <laughs> Jesus Christ is the problem because he who's from above is above all. And then he goes on here and he says this. He says, the most incredible statement is when they look at him and they say to him, you're not even 50 years old yet. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, Yahweh. Before Abraham was, I am the one who is before all things. I am the word preexistent. I'm the one who made all of this. And I'm the one for whom all this was made. I am Jesus the Christ. Can you think of something else to preach? When we have a man like this, when we have a thought like this, when we have a, the ability to proclaim this, can you think of anything else to preach? No matter how cool it is, it pales when you put it next to Jesus. So this is what I want to end with right here. This, this statement from C.S. Lewis. It's powerful. He says this, Jesus, like no one else, says things like, Come to me, everyone who is carrying a heavy load, and I will set that right. Jesus says, Come to me, your sins, all of them, are wiped out. I can do that. <laughs> who else can say, I am rebirth? I am life, eat me, drink me, I am your food. And finally, never be afraid because I've overcome the entire universe. I say all this to say, he who's from above is above all. I issue a call to all of us. Let us reduce our message to one because in that one, we hit everything that's needed. Jesus Christ is the solution, the universal solution to all the problems of mankind. So you have a friend, you have a family member, Jesus is the answer. I have a problem in my body. I have a problem in my mind. Jesus Christ, he's the answer. I've come to proclaim Christ unto you today because we preach him so that we might present every man complete and mature on that great day. Paul says, I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He tells the Galatians, your problem is this. You're adding to Jesus. He tells the Colossians, you, Jesus is too low. You need to lift him a little bit higher. He tells the Ephesians, all growth is going to come from this man, Christ Jesus. He tells the Corinthians, this is what you're missing, is Christ crucified. You look at every single letter that Paul writes, he re recalls their attention to Jesus Christ specifically revealed in the gospel. You don't have another message. I don't have another message. This isn't some Jesus movement. This is God's message to the world. And it's always been this way. There isn't certain people that are allowed to preach Jesus. Everybody preaches Christ, and we have nothing else. Are you following me? Nobody can put a monopoly on Jesus. Jesus monopolized everything already. Jesus Christ is the only message, period. So let us resolve together that this is how we will live looking unto Jesus. And not only how we live, but this is what we will say. We will be like John the Baptist, whose whole life is reduced to this, looking at the lamb and then calling everyone else to do the same. Praise God. Will you stand with me? Let's just make a vow together as a house, as a house for him. Just put your hand on your heart. And, and only, only say this with me if you really believe it in your heart, okay? 
Say, Jesus, I realize that you are God's message. You're the only solution. Everything is about you. Everything is in you. Everything is for you. You are all, and you are the only. So I bow my knee in covenant with you. I will look to you and live, and I will tell the world of Jesus. I will proclaim him, and I will refuse every distraction, every deviation, every addition. Jesus will be source and center from here on out. In Jesus' name, amen.